I'll uh, I think I'll I think I'll get us in. I think I'll, I'll bring us in here. So, bingo, uh, bango, bongo. Bingo, bango, bongo. I'm ready to rock and roll. Bingo, bango, bongo. Indeed. Um, dun, 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 dun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of the Giving Good People Bad Ideas podcast. This is me, Simon, your host, joined as always by uh, Daniel, aka the uh, Mana Guys podcast, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> it's a it's a name, it's a work in progress. I'm really. I'm really, I mean, a special episode deserves a special rebranding, right? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a pretty special episode, you know, because um, we've we've been we've been playing Magic for a while, right, Daniel? Like, we've got we've got years of experience, you might say. Yes, um, literally, multiple years. Multiple years, more than one. We're no 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 we're no twenty twenty bandwagoner, right? No no no. We're At no, least the 2010s at least the two, yeah i mean let's not <laughs> let's not get too far ahead of ourselves but you know post auths pre-covid somewhere in that range um so you know we've picked up we've picked up i'd say both of us have probably picked up some pretty uh some pretty cool skills in the game the time we've been playing you know and uh i think we we're gonna, we're gonna I mean, take uh, today to 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 share that wisdom people do call us the uh Shota, Yasuoka, and Reed Duke of EDH. So I mean, that that's pretty high praise, and I think I think we deserved it with our our strong deck building decisions, technical gameplay, and today, yeah, we you hit the nail on the head. We're going to share the secrets to our success. You know, the tips that no one else is talking about, mainly because I think they're too scared to. This advice is, it's too powerful. It's it's honestly, I'm scared to publish this this episode, Simon, because. Um, I mean, once once you look into Pandora's box, like this, this completely cracks the format open. Yeah, know? we're gonna we're crossing the Rubicon here, so to speak. And you know, I have to say, I was pretty surprised when my mom told me I was the Reed Duke of EDH. But um, yeah, you know, I think I'm finally willing to to accept that mantle to, to come around and uh, yeah, and unleash unleash my knowledge onto the world. I mean, we we both play extremely tight. We never take any chances we don't need to. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're We've run in a well-oiled machine every time we get down to <laughs> the table, right? Um, and and this this advice is the oil. So there you go. <laughs> it is the oil and the gear, that yeah. which turns and that which is turned. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So what's what's our first piece of advice? All right. So let's talk about lands. All right, as a concept. Yep. So lands, right? They're a, they're a mechanic in Magic: The Gathering. Um, you use them, and you cast spells with them, right? Like you, you pay mana with them, bloody about it. Kind of boring, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say you have a hand, right? And you like draw, and it's like five lands and two spells, and you're like, "Wow, that's so good! I can play my two spells with all these lands in my hand." Um, but then you draw nothing but lands for the rest of the game, right? And yeah. that's like, "Wow, I only get to cast two spells this entire game." Here's my here's my hot piece <laughs> of advice, right? When you're sitting down to build a deck, and you're like, "Oh, I'll put." 36 lands in you know like a third of it whatever a little more than a third i always want to hit my i want to i want to i want to hit my, my land drops right yeah i want you to consider this right so mm-hmm. i follow what i call the one-fifth rule which is can't even guess what would be statistics dictates right that if one-fifth of the cards in your deck are lands one out of every five cards you're gonna draw are, la- yeah. are, are lands so let's say you you take 
you you take two mulligans, right? You get one free mulligan, one down to six. That means in total, you'll have seen mm-hmm. is that twenty cards? You'll have uh, seen yeah, twenty total that's cards. 20 cards. And statistics, as we, which as we know is an infallible representation of representation mm-hmm. of exactly what's going to happen every time you do something, um, dictates that one in every five of those or four of those cards will be land, which for your average deck is plenty of lands for the entirety of the game, right? So that is a lot of lands, yeah. Next time you're building a deck and you have like 116 cards, you need to make cuts, um, and there's just so many cards you love and you can't use, just cut lands. Like, mm-hmm. I promise you, over time, it will average out to you being able to play spells in some of your games. And that's what you want to do, right? Like, you don't want to play lands. Playing lands is boring. Playing spells, that that's where the action's at. Well, just just think about the late game. You know, Commander is all about the late game. And if things have stalled out and you and your opponents are top decking, if you if you have fewer lands in your deck, you know, you're gonna be you're gonna be hitting gas more often. So really you're you're by by following the one fifth rule and you know taking your two mulligans like every game, or whatever, you're you're just planning for your future. You're planning for the those top deck wars. Exactly. You're optimizing yeah. both the beginning of the game and and turn 15, 16 around the time when you're making your like fifth, sixth land drop. And yeah. you're drawing nothing but gas. And your opponent's like, man, I've played like seven card draw spells, but I have 15 lands in my hand. Mm. Like, what's up We've with all that? Been there. I know. We, I, I mean, not me. I'm never there yeah. anymore because I follow the one, one fifth rule. And yeah. that's that's the edge. I think that's when it comes down to it. It feels kind of kind of weird to like drop a, that bomb so quickly, but like I just I have to get it out there. I mean, yeah, every deck building template you see from all these other content creators, they're always 34 lands, 37 lands, 39 lands, if you're like Gavin Verhey or somebody. But, I mean, all of these these players have clearly never faced against a one-fifth rule deck. They've never faced against a deck utilizing its mana curve, mulligan decisions, and deck construction to such a high degree. It's It's honestly masterful. It's... It's just an incredible. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I think once, once you see it in action, it's it's like the craziest thing. It's a game changer. It's a total <laughs> game changer. Yeah, I mean the game the game definitely does change. It does change. Are. It's different. It's a different game. Do not. You're sort. It's sort of like you're playing sixty card, but you're playing with a hundred cards. You know, mm. or even draft. Yeah, you know, it's like, like you're you playing a draft. Yeah, I mean that's what you drafts all about, right? Lines. Draft is all about <laughs> making the the most optimal deck you can and a lot of times it's all singletons right mm-hmm. so like you're just running a draft deck and then you're playing a bunch more of great singletons i mean it's perfect right well i mean okay so let me let me let me hit you with this one i've played a lot of draft decks that are only running like 16 17 lands and i mean if it works for a draft deck it, it i mean it stands to reason it ought to work for a, an edh deck i mean it's like you know it's, it's singleton you know you have a mana curve or whatever right? i mean I don't see how we maybe the next step in the one fifth rule is to go to the sixteen over one hundred rule. You know, go even just, further beyond. Yeah, the four twenty fifth rule. Four twenty fifth rule. The four twenty fifth. That one actually works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know, Dan. This is gonna this is gonna require some extensive testing. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, as long as I get that free mulligan, I feel like I'm just off to the. Right. I mean, okay. We we all know like vintage is the most powerful format. Yes. Okay? I mean, maybe Commander is more powerful. I don't know. But one of the most powerful decks in Vintage, Dredge, it's only running four lands. 
you know, and they've even adopted the, uh, the serum powder tech to get you to those lands. But I mean, if, if the most powerful deck in the most powerful format is playing four lands, why, why are we playing three, nine? It doesn't make sense to me. Is serum powder banned in commander? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Daniel, that's another free mulligan. That is another free mulligan. We've it, just drastically increased these mulligan odds. If you mull four times or three times, you see 25 cards in your deck. That's a one in four chance of also seeing your serum powder. I, I wonder I wonder if you sat down at a if you sat down at a table and you were like, hey guys, so I built this kind of weird deck. It doesn't technically like work by the rules of EDH, but I'm playing like 20 copies of this mana rock that I really like. Is it okay if I play my deck? I mean, I think a lot of people would be say would say yes, but then you hit them with the serum powder tech. Between <laughs> 20 serum powders, <laughs> we're just off to the races. I mean, if you exile 19 of them, do you really have yeah. 20 of them in your deck? Well, wait, wait, wait. Think about it this way, Simon. You, you get to choose what you exile with Serum Powder. So if you exile, if you take free mulligans and you exile more lands, then you're just increasing the odds on your next Serum Powder to get a better hand. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're, you're able to take lands out of your deck before the game starts. You're refining, you're, you're refining your game plan in the mulligan process. <laughs> yeah. Truly just artful. Just like everything you love about the format come together. Really, yeah. Uh... The apex of apex of Magic: The Gathering, I think. <laughs> All right, Daniel, what you got for me? What you got for me? I'm I'm looking forward to learning some some spicy tech from you. Okay, the, this one it's similar to the it's similar to the one fifth rule, mainly because we're focusing on the late game with this. Okay. Okay. So why why do players play ramp? You know that's what I'm really trying to get at here, and the reason you play ramp is so that you can get to the quote unquote late game faster than everybody else. You know, like you're playing rampant growth. So on turn three, you can have four mana, you know? So what if instead of using ramp cards to get to the late game, you just use the life gain cards? Because think about it. If you play a bunch of life gain cards, you know, like uh, Soul Warden, Essence Warden, all the Soul Sister cards, Oriok Champion, like a lot of, a lot of creatures in the battlefield for once, so you're going to gain a lot of life. And with that life buffer, you're going to be able to take any hit your opponents can deal out and then eventually get to the late game where your life gain cards just keep getting more value. I mean, what's better than gaining five life on turn three, getting five life on turn eight? Huh? Well, I yeah, mean, I, think, I mean, think about it, right? Like, so, like, magic is a game of resources, right? Some like, say that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you got, you got <laughs> your deck, you got your mana, you got your life, your life total. And people say, mm, like... It is a resource. People yeah. say, like, it's not over till that last point of life is gone, right? But in EDH, mm-hmm. EDH is a game where you could have that one point of life and your opponent has a staff of nin on the board, right? Exactly. That, that is essentially a game over state right there. Yeah. So by use, by leveraging life gain cards to increase your the resource so that you're the one monopolizing life, right? I mean, you have to think of a basic economic supply-demand curve, right? That's true, yeah. Like, if you have all the life supply and no one else has any life, I mean, you've won. Mm-hmm. EDH is a I mean, game of monopolies. I mean, I'm, I'm already seeing a deck like forming in my head of we're playing all the hits, we're playing Healing Salve, uh, all the Soul Sisters, but Johnny's Pride Mate, you know, for the beatdowns and everything, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Then to finish all off, Earthquakes. Rolling Earthquake, Gwal Line. You're going to be able to just go over the top of everybody else. 
Because they're not in the life market. They're not there with you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's perfect. I, I see no I see no problem with this whatsoever. I have to I have to think about leveraging this. I mean, the problem with that, right, is figuring out how to leverage life gain in colors where it's not part of their primary, their primary uh, color pot well, slice, see, right? See, that, that's that's the good thing. You don't even have to build it on life gain, because it just leverages itself. You know, it just think of think of life gain as time walk. Okay. If so, like say your opponents have like like seven power out on the battlefield. Colossal dreadmaw. They have a colossal dreadmaw on the battlefield. Yeah, they have a colossal dreadmaw. Yeah. If you play Angel's Mercy, gain seven. You've you've time walked. You know. Their, their creature essentially does nothing. You untap, you draw an extra card, you can play lands, you know, if you're playing lands or whatever. And yeah, I mean, people people have been focusing on all these blue cards like Time Warp, Time Stretch, Nexus of Fate. I mean, really, we need to be talking about Beacon of Immortality, uh, Healing Grace, I mean, Chaplain's Blessing. These are what you need to focus on. Not to mention, like, the wide suite of life gain cards that also do stuff like draw you a card. Like, think about it, right? Benefactors mm-hmm. draw it, right? That, like, yeah. You draw a card. Draw a card twice. It's got, that's the one, that's one with rebound, right? Yeah. Uh, Am I crazy? Maybe. Am I thinking something else? <laughs> it's a little like that. There's that life gain card. It's got rebound. If you have more life in your opponent, you draw a card or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I haven't really... De- I don't think I've delved quite to the depth of the like of the life game, life game market as, as you have, perhaps. Well, um, yeah. I also... I want to caution people from playing stuff like sphinx's revelation um because you're much i mean you're right that it's good to like gain life and do something else but the the two more mana you're paying for sphinx's revelation would do you much better in a spell that's just like x white gain x life because then then you're able to get over that hump you know you're able to get that crucial two life to get to the next turn yeah and also of course uh sphinx's revelation comes with the opportunity cost of drawing attention to yourself right like, if mm, you have a bunch yeah. of cards in your hand, people are going to hit you, and that's going to take away <laughs> your leveraged advantage. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, but then then you can just reveal your hand and show all your life, the life gain spells you drew, and they'll probably leave you alone anyway. So. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's, so it's also navigates, you, you've now, you've navigated both the political and economic market of EDH perfectly exactly. in, yeah. in one fell swoop. I mean... Sheldon Minery would be proud. I think you've... There, there is a depth to the level to, to the thinking that you're exhibiting here that I, I, I don't even know if I'm capable of quite comprehending. Well, I mean, these these next two you have on the list. I mean, these are these are kind of focused around like uh, when we get back to paper play. You know, I mean, I don't I don't really see these uh like how these work in in online, but I think these are equally big brain as as my life game plan. Okay. I gotta say. Well, I think I'll, I'll start with the second one because the second one is very is very possible and online, um, and if anything, oh, okay. if anything, it's even better. Um, so <laughs> Ooh, there's this mental exercise I like to do, right? Whenever I lose a game of EDH, mm-hmm. I like to I like to draw the next ten cards in my library, and if you're online, you can draw those cards and also reveal your hand, and, and then maybe <laughs> type something in chat. To let your opponents know about your masterful strategy, because that way, right, you're visualizing your plans for the future, so that even if you had gotten to play those turns, you know what to do, right? So, so the advice is just draw ten cards after the game. Yeah, and like ta- and like do ten turns of gold fishing after every game to like mm-hmm. know how you would have responded if you had the chance, right? Because that you wanna you wanna you wanna play to your outs, and if your outs 
don't didn't exist and you couldn't play to them you want to play to what your outs would have been if you if you played more yeah yeah i mean we're, we're really ta- we're really tapping into some deep stuff like parallel universes the multiverse what could have happened you know there there is a universe where you did get to goldfish for the next 10 turns and win so i mean you do need to investigate that that outcome Kind of like Doctor Strange, you know, in a certain way. Well, exactly. Um, right? You should definitely also check to make sure Mercury is in retrograde when you're doing this. Um, yeah, I don't. No, I don't it, play. I don't play Magic Online if it's not honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when Mercury's in retrograde, like I don't even, I don't even want to talk about that, right? But like, it's important to ensure that the planets are aligned in such a way that you will be able to channel your mental energy in an efficient and timely manner, um, and also type yeah. at a speed that will. Make sure your message shows up in chat before everybody leaves the leaves the room to start their next yeah. game, right? Like you don't. Well, there's there's a new feature on online where people vote for their favorite player, and you really want to get ahead of that vote by typing out how you would have won in chat, so people know that you were the best. Well, yeah, and there there is a serious amount of karmic energy attached to that favorite player <laughs> vote. I mean, it's important yeah. to, to to get those votes. Um, Personally, yeah, if your vibes are off, your those that votes are just going to send you right out of whack. Personally, I I start my vote campaign as soon as every game begins. Um, I usually make promises about like cards I'm going to play during the game and who will and will and won't attack. Um, that I I completely ignore. Like I don't actually do that. Right. I mean that's that's yeah. the politics game. That's how you do it. But um yeah, it's it's definitely it's the energy right and the fact that there's a chat log. That's that that's that's what lasts forever, right? The chat log lasts forever. Mm-hmm. That's why you can report someone for calling you a slur, and they'll get banned. That that is not the advice. Do not do that. <laughs> do not call people slurs, but do report people who use foul language. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's 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 an aside. That's that's for a different episode. We're not. We won't talk about. We won't talk about that. And in paper <laughs> magic, right? And paper magic, you can get a lot more dramatic with it right you can make it an, almost a performance piece like you're drawing mm-hmm. your card you're looking at it maybe maybe start quoting Yu-Gi-Oh. you know i find I, I find the lack of like magic tv shows to be really disheartening so sometimes i'll like throw a blue eyes white dragon in my deck or something like that just so i can be like i play blue eyes white dragon and it always you know people people love it they're like yeah we're playing Yu-Gi-Oh now um yeah i mean i so so this is this is a strategy i, I utilize often I, I always want to let like whenever I sit down at a paper game, I want everybody to know that I could have won, you know, and they just got lucky. Um, but I mean, the the experience that really like solidified to me that this is the best way to play EDH is it, it was a long drawn out game, you know, we done everybody had done their thing, or whatever. But eventually, I lost. So I spent I spent the next five minutes or so, you know, talking to all my opponents, you know, because you want to get like the social contract aftercare thing or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, explaining to them you know like you were just lucky i i was gonna draw my bomb in six turns and then everybody turned to me and they said wow daniel we we care so much about this and then they started clapping and i was like what's going on and they're like well we're clapping for you because you would have won so i mean if you want to experience that yourself just take our advice yeah i mean and there, there is no better feeling than having people tell you that they care about about the fact that you would have won right it's like that feels like an achievement. It's like people understand that through the sheer weight of your mental fortitude, you have visualized and actualized your victory by doing this by doing this exercise. Um, I, I do think the feeling of 
um, taking your fourth serum powder mulligan in Commander is would, would maybe be better than that. But I mean, the list is not long of, th- of better feelings in Magic. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly short, and they don't happen <laughs> nearly as often, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'd say you could probably get one of those events a day if you're if you're just playing with some some with random people. Um, if if Mercury is in retrograde, yes. I mean, of course. Another thing, if if it's not if it's not in retrograde and you lose, that's another great way to let people know, right? It's like, <laughs> look, sorry, Mercury not in retrograde right now. Venus yeah. is acting really strange. I just I wasn't I wasn't aligned this game, um, and that's why I kept a one lander with the soul ring and didn't draw a land for the rest of the game. Right? Sad. Like Sad. that's just it's you gotta let people know. You gotta tell them. Yeah. Um, and yes, the the other one, right? The other piece of advice I was gonna give it really only applies to paper, but um. What it's similar to how the sway of the stars can affect our gameplay. I also well, believe. Oh yeah, <laughs> crap! You're right. <laughs> <laughs> similar to how the movement of the planets. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Can I'm affect can affect our gameplay. Um, so too can the rolling of the dice. Um, I think both affect and better your gameplay, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say you're playing a game, right? You're playing Boros Aggro in any given table, right? And mm-hmm. you, like, you, 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 got, you got your board state, you got, like, some, a 2-2 two, two and a couple 1-1s one, and stuff like that. And, like, you look at the border state and there's, like, everyone's got, like, a creature or two, but you don't, and you don't really want to think about blocks. Mm-hmm. A roll of the dice can, A, instantly resolve that problem because it will tell you what to do. Yeah. And remove all, like, weight from the decision off your shoulders, right? Like, all you are... political backlash. You are handing... You are handing your destiny to Mother Universe and saying, I am putty in your hands. Do as you wish. Right? Yeah. I mean, just, just imagine, like, swinging at somebody that the universe didn't want you to swing at. How, how would that ever go your way? I don't get it. It won't. I mean, People, people tell you, you know, don't roll your dice. You got to own your decisions. You know, you got to use your threat assessment or whatever. I mean, but ultimately, if if Mother Universe doesn't want me to swing at the Simic player with Rhystic Study, I'm not going to swing at them. I mean, that's that's just, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I feel that. I feel that a lot. I mean, it's <laughs> like, and the thing is, right? If you blindly grope about in the darkness with your karmic energy, I mean, there's no telling the risks you incur by doing so. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, it's a very sobering thought to think of what, what could go wrong. You know, I know. What if, what if they have an aetherize in their hand? Yeah. What if the Gonti player like exiled an aetherize off the top of, some of the blue player's library and has an aetherize exile phase down? I mean, what if you get aether spouts? What if they cast, um, you know, any of those white removal spells that destroy target attacking creature. I mean, there's, there's, approach. there's, yeah. there's almost no end to the things that could go wrong if you don't roll the dice. Yeah. Because the dice will always provide. Yeah. Ultimately, what we're getting at is that if you want to avoid getting aetherized, aether spouts, if you want to avoid angering the the ether, aether, you need to tap into it by using the die, you know? All right, Daniel. What do you what do you got for me? What's next? All right, I got I got the two, the next two hottest commander staples that you're not playing. All right, All right these, these are gonna be quick. These are gonna hit be quick. me with it. Yeah, I'm ready. 
First one, red, white, staple. Okay. Ensnaring, ensnaring bridge. In case you don't know, ensnaring bridge, three-mana artifact. It says creatures with power greater than the number of cards in your hand cannot attack. Okay. Everybody knows the the memes about red, white, you know, Boros. No card advantage, you know. Oh, what you're gonna do over there? Cast Faith of Looting? Oh, what are you gonna do? Stoneforge Mystic for Sword of Fire and Ice? Come on. Red and white is the best at making use of Ensnaring Bridge because it's the color combo that empties their hand the fastest. You know, imagine you're playing blue-green. You don't want to play Ensnaring Bridge. You're gonna have like eight cards in your hand. Red-white though, like like a Boros aggro deck, you know. You you throw that bad boy in the table, no one's gonna be attacking. I mean, maybe, maybe your creatures have to stay home or whatever, but you're never going to get hit. And like we were talking about the life gain, you're going to be able to get to that late game. It's all about the late game, baby. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah, and you're also, I, I agree, right? You're, you're like, you're leveraging the way turns work, right? You end mm. your turn, no cards in hand. Nobody can attack until it's your turn. Your turn, you draw a card. And, you know, you always play your card second main, right? So you have yeah. that, you have that one card in hand. So your one ones, mm-hmm. it's go time. Yeah, it's and go I mean, time. Everybody knows that their creatures can't attack, so maybe they'll also think that their creatures can't block, and then they'll just let your one ones through, you know? Yeah, I mean, no one reads cards, right? They see Ensnaring Bridge, they're like, well, my creatures are ensnared. Like, yeah, well, you need, you need to get a, a Russian copy of Ensnaring Bridge, by the way. Oh, that, I mean, that's key to it, yeah. Russian foil, preferably warped a little bit, heavily played, perhaps. Yeah. I'm still waiting on that Phyrexian Judge promo of Ensnaring Bridge. Ensnaring Bridge? That'd be sick. That would be sick, actually. I'd like that. Um, I, You know... On a, on, a, on a further note on that, I want to expand on this, right? Because I think okay. I think you haven't quite pushed this to its limit. Because I think a snaring bridge can also teach really good card discipline in Red White, okay. right? Like, okay. What, what is card discipline? Okay, you're I've in the late game, right? You haven't really played any cards yet because your curve is like averages on five. So you play your snaring bridge, you play one more card, you got five more, you got five cards in your hand, right? You play like a mm. you play like a five mana creature of some sort. I don't know what's a five mana. You know what's that five going going ceratops. You play going ceratops, right? A great one. So you're now going to be very careful to not play any of your cards so that that going ceratops can attack, right? Yeah, that's you're, right. You're yeah. playing the discipline game there, right? Like you're going to draw pass, draw attack pass, draw attack pass. You're going to be holding on to that full grip, so when the time comes. You can play them and then wait five turns to refill your hand. I mean, the, the amount of patience that Snaring Bridge can teach you while playing it. I mean, I, I I just I just don't think it's matched by any card. Yeah. I mean, you you can also kind of build a deck around. Okay, like I'm going to play Snaring Bridge and then empty my hand, and then my next turn I'm going to plan to draw like seven cards, you know, and then play play all those out. I mean, maybe maybe there's like some like mono or like Boros wheels deck i don't know i don't know wheels wheels aggro ensnaring bridge prison that's the that's the new archetype i like it i think you know right. you said you had a bridge you wanted to sell me and i am ready to buy it <laughs> yeah well i mean you're gonna have to pay a bit for this foil version copy but you can, um, you can have one i don't think any any price is too small for for finally making my boros aggro deck viable in command no price too small nope. okay <laughs> The next, the next uh, white staple everyone, everybody should be playing, is Winds of Abandon. Okay. All right. So Winds of Abandon, it's a two mana path to exile essentially, but it has overload for six. Now I know what you're thinking: two mana card with a big overload cost. 
remind you of anything? Maybe Cyclonic Rift, perhaps? Um, Winds of Abandon is really the White Cyclonic Rift. I mean, the most relevant parts of both of these cards is that you can either play them very early or play them very late. You know, I mean, th they both have that aspect to them. So if you're, if you're looking for a board wipe in white that your opponents are really not expecting, Winds of Abandon. So, like, imagine your mono green opponent has gone really wide, you know, they, they're at seven mana, so you know next turn they're probably going to play a land and then crater a few. Instead of a Wrath of God, which, you know, can't hit stuff on turn two or whatever, can't get that spot removal, play Winds of Abandon, overload it. Like, how many basics do you think your, like, green aggro opponent could possibly be running? You know, I mean, like, it's Commander. How many basics do people play? So, I mean, once you overload this, how do they come back from that? All their creatures are gone. They have like what, like a couple lands or whatever. I mean, assuming they they don't have cards in their hand, how are they going to come back from that? I mean, yeah, and this is a piece of advice I think that really um, it, it meshes and synergizes really well with the previous advice we given, right? Mm. Like, if you're playing at a table where the one fifth strategy has been adopted, winds of abandon when you can play it on like turn thirty or so, right? Yeah. They have no lands in their deck. They've probably played most of them and. And if they do, the rest of them are probably utility, colorless utility lands that they can't even fetch up. Yeah, like Shivan Gorge or something. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, and on a similar vein, right, when you're playing one-fifth strategy, when you're playing red-white ensnaring bridge aggro-prison combo, uh -huh. you want to leverage to the late game, right? You're playing your life gain spells. You're trying to leverage it's to the late game. late game. And by, by giving your opponents lands with Winds of Abandon, you have actually shifted the game state to the late game. Yeah. Which means you're exactly where you want to be. I mean, I, I hate to make the comparison again, but you really do need to think of Winds of Abandon as like six copies of Time Walk for six mana. You know, because your, your opponents are getting to the late game. Like, every everybody's getting to the late game when you play Winds of Abandon. Yeah, because like, you're not going to be playing that many lands anyway. So like, you're ready for the late game. You're just like... Why would you want lands? You're getting your opponents there. You're expediting the process... And removing all their creatures in the process, right? Yeah, like that's like a that's like a that's like a two for one. That's a three for one. Who knows how many for one that is? I mean, it. When I saw this card previewed, I honestly thought like, what what are they doing? This one's way too powerful. And I mean, I'm, I was kind of scared to give this advice because you really do need to be playing with people that are already on your level. You know, the one fifth strategy, the ensnaring bridge tech, the life gain late game engine. So, I mean, it is kind of like next level beyond that. But I mean, if you're when you bring this kind of tech to your play group, I think you're really gonna you're really gonna hit it off. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, are you, are you gonna play Windsor Bandit now, Simon? I mean, I, I am, as we speak, throwing together red, white, Boris aggro, life game, and snaring bridge prison. And yep. let me tell you, tables that are not aware of the one fifth i mean I, I might even be able to play it at tables that are aware of the one fifth strategy because it just yeah it feels like pub stomping you know it feels like you're really you're you're pushing the power level to an unreasonable level i mean you you might just want to skip to that that thing we talked about earlier where you know you're just goldfishing the next 10 turns and telling everybody how you could have won i mean you might just since you know you're already going to win i mean you might as well just skip to that part anyway I, no. I mean, and there is, I mean, thankfully, MTGO EDH actually gives us an extremely efficient way to do this. Um, so here's, here's a strategy I've adopted when I'm trying to maximize my one-fifth mm -hmm. strategy game time. Um, on turn three, I can seed the match and then just 
bullet dish the rest and tell my opponents how I was going to win, right? Yeah. Like, let's say you, you skip all their turns and all their, like, going AFK for five minutes and stuff like that. You just, like, you just show them that you it was obvious you are going to win. They had no interaction, nothing they could do. And then you, you don't vote for anyone because you can't give away your karmic energy. That's bad. Don't give away yeah. your karmic energy. Um, and then you leave. And that you uh, that's maximal game time right there, right? Wait, so so are you doing you're doing turn three? Turn I've three. been doing I've been doing turn four, I usually scoop. Turn then four it's like pretty obvious after turn four. See, turn I three. I believe that I've realized it's actually faster to goldfish an extra turn, so maybe do like the next eleven turns mm-hmm. than it okay. is to wait a full turn cycle to turn four and then concede. Um, I see. Yeah. Okay. So you're really just you're really just um, maximizing the time that you spend, you know, mulliganing, playing your first turn, looking for a new room on EDH on the EDH section. Yeah. Yeah. It really should be stated that this the strategy is only optimal if you have two monitors. Um, you need to you need to be finding a new room as soon as you load into a game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can just cycle through it quicker. And this is how you really. I mean, this is how you grind points, right? Like you might only be getting one one favorite player once every like 10, 20 games, but um overall you're gonna be harvesting more karmic energy than if you were yeah. playing through you know an hour two hour long game of MTGODH. Um, well, and th- this is why we we're talking about Mercury and retrograde so much because you wanna you wanna be using this like turn three scoop strategy when it's not in retrograde so that way you store up a burst of karmic energy at the start you know. Yeah, exactly. And see, when, when Mercury is yeah. not in retrograde, um, Scorpios and Cancers tend to be more generous. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to make sure, especially if you're making glooms, to label them Scorpios or Cancers only to um, ensure that you're getting the most generous folks who are pro- likely to give you um, points that for, for recognizing basically that you were going to win, right? Yeah, I've seen I've seen that in like the, the description box, you know, S plus C only. I thought that was like a partner pair or something, but... I guess it, it is Scorpio and Cancer only, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Whew. All right, let's, you know, Man, let's, this... take a, let's take a little coffee break. A little, like... <sighs> just, just... So, something, something you were talking about, uh, like, just now, like, the, the idea of somebody multi-queuing uh, Commander games is, like, the most cursed, like, visual. <laughs> it's, like, the worst way to engage in magic I can think of. Multi-queuing Commander games. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen people, like... I mean, it's hard to tell, right, with the MTGO mm-hmm. thing, because, like, even if there's a game where everyone's left, it'll still show up for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I've had that happen, like, when we're, like, playing a game, and, like, three of us join, and one of us doesn't make it, and someone else joins, and we, we all leave that poor person alone, like, oops, sorry. Um, yeah. Or, like, two of us make it, and one of us doesn't. Because I guess when we mm-hmm. have four people, we play buddies only. And, it, like, it looks like we're still playing the game, even though we aren't, um... Yeah, multi queuing. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, man, I gotta get my reps in with this tech. I just, I'm just imagining a guy with like 16 monitors stretched out in front of him. He's got, he's got 16 consecutive games of EDH, and like I'm just like, playing like, the, the same elf ball deck in 16 different. <laughs> he has to, you have to maximize your karmic game. I cannot, yeah. I cannot state this enough. <laughs> it's extremely important. Honestly, I'm considering, oh, I'm considering. Um, starting up a, a karmic offering, sort of like a new version of anti when paper magic is like viable to okay. get right. It's like okay, here put, yeah. a, put a little bit of that energy into this this Tibetan singing bowl, okay? And then whoever gets to like rub the thing on the outside at the edge 
at the end of the game because they won or whatever, or they were voted most popular, like they get to they get to harvest that energy. Wow, way too dank. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about like so we've got we've got like your MTGO grinding, but just like in general when you're playing a game, right? Like, how do you preserve your mental status when you're playing when you're playing EDH, right? Like yeah, when you're when you're in into hour five of your sixteen monitor multi queuing grind fest. Yeah, how exactly. Do you, how, do you, how do you keep yourself sane? How do you keep yeah, or like you know, you're playing a seven person game in, 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 in like public and stuff like that, like outside, you know, and I know that's a bit alien of a concept for us all huh? at this point. Huh? You know, we like you're like playing with in paper magic. I don't know, man. Like, I don't I don't even like with like at a like at a table? Like yeah, with, with humans, I guess. I don't know. It's mm. been a while. It's been. A, I, I don't. Know I, I don't even. Honestly, like, I tried to open my deck boxes the other day, and I couldn't. Like, I couldn't figure out how to get the top off. I was like, "What is? How does? What's the? Is this? Is it? Is it a pulley? Yeah. Is it a pulley? My, is it a lever? My child-proof deck box top. <laughs> my Simon-proof deck boxes. <laughs> um. So, when you're playing against EDH, right? It requires. It, it, it can require focus, right? Like you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta see the cards people are playing. You gotta play your own cards. Um, and so cards that take a lot of decision making, I think, tend to lead to the most focus requirement, right? Okay. Because you have to make a choice, and with, with so many different variables, it can like lead to this this kind of just like deep internal monologue about like, what am I, what am I gonna choose, what I choose? And I find that that can lead to like kind of burning out really quickly, right? Like yeah. After the end of like, a game, we're playing like control and EDH, like a mono blue deck in EDH. I'm just like I just need to play ten mana dorks in Crater Hoof, or I'm just I'm just done forever, right? Yeah. So I think I, think, I mean most most people quit Magic because it it's too interactive. Yeah. You know, like it's too much to think about. It's too much to think about. So if you just don't play interaction, um, all right, I'm with you. If you don't play interaction, you don't you do, you don't risk that burnout. Um. Mm, okay. And that also synergizes with the, the other piece I was, of advice I was going to give about this is if every non-land card in your one-fifths rule deck is a combo piece, one half of a combo, right? Or yeah. part of some, a part of a combo. That means you're always drawing that card that takes you one step closer to victory. Like, interaction? How is that going to win you the game? Yeah. I mean, how, like... Uh, how has anybody ever won the game by casting like a board wipe, like Cyclonic Rift or something? You know, it just it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, okay, so they have less permanence, but I I don't see I don't see you your, don't have more permanence. I don't see your name in the Tibetan singing bowl. Like, it's not your karmic <laughs> energy. If anything, playing Cyclonic Rift is a massive negative on your karmic energy. That that is actually true. That is very true. Like we're talking about cursed content. Turn nine Cyclonic that's extremely cursed maybe maybe yeah. the mo- i mean that might be the most cursed thing for me in edh is, is is seeing a player it's especially bad in mtgo where you can see them add the mana to their mana pool and you know mm. what's coming because they have seven untapped lands i mean i i don't want to be on the receiving side of that so why would i make the bad karmic decision to make someone else be on the receiving side of that and force myself to consider whether or not I play it on end step or upkeep, right? I mean, yeah. there are there are three whole turns during which you can play Sightcraft. Four if you include your own turn. And that's crazy. Like, that's too much. That's too much thinking. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, like, like, okay, like, think about if your if your entire deck is made up of like, kiki jiki effects and pestermite effects, or like, you know, just random two card combos like, power artifact, assault monolith, you know, uh, I don't know what's another one good like, uh, Argothian elder, Mazevith, Palancon, about, you know, Palancon, Palancon combos, high tide, like, there's so much. Yeah. Think about how exciting your draw steps are going to be. Every draw step could win you the game. That's just like, I mean, in terms of excitement equity, that's just off the charts. Yeah, and that's what you play EDH for, right? Is that is yeah. that is that rush, that feeling of like, oh right, what's my what's on top of my deck? Is it a land? Is it my fourth land? Is it a high tide? Is it a pound card? Is it, like, is it your fourth of four lands total? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, the one twenty fifth rule. I mean, if if you can get your play group to let you play with four bazaars. Four bizarre oh. Baghdad. I, I would oh, do it. <laughs> oh, extremely manaless dredge. <laughs> it's like no manaless dredge. Absolutely no mana anywhere dredge. No mana dredge. Is bizarre Baghdad legendary? That's actually a quick. Oh one. no, absolutely not. Was that was that before legendary things even existed? Uh, was it Arabian Nights? No, I guess they introduced it in Arabian Nights, didn't they? Or there were no legendary. Well, no, legends. Le- legends were introduced in Legends. In Legends, was that when was that? I don't, I don't know. Ah, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Actually, it, it should be legendary. Like, like a irony posting aside or whatever, it should be legendary because having two bazaars out is insane. But It should also be reprinted. Okay, I just had to put that in. Let's go back. Back to the, back, back to the topic at hand. <laughs> the focus at hand. I don't know. I mean, I guess we kind of we kind of covered it at this point, right? Like, don't interact. Yeah, just... bad, for, bad for the vibe, bad for your brain. Mm-hmm. Every card a combo piece. Yeah. So we've got the we got the like, any any other like deck building suggestions you got there? Well, okay. So we we've been talking about combo. I've I've kind of got like an, another deck building uh, deck building strategy that you can employ. And I, I think you'll find I've had great success with it. I, I think our viewers, our listeners, will have great success. Well, yeah. Not every uh, deck is a combo deck, right? No, no, no. Yeah. You, so- you have to have your mid range. You know all that stuff. But anyway. So you can think about, this is just like general magic theory. You can think about every interaction in magic in terms of card advantage. Okay, so like uh, like Colgan's command. You know, you, you deal two to their guy and you destroy their artifact. That's a two for one. You know, uh, divination, you draw two cards. That's a two for one. So you can even think about ramp cards in terms of card advantage. Like rampant growth is like, it's a one for one. You know, you're only getting one, one land out of your deck to put into play. But it's a big tempo boost, you know. But ultimately, you can think of that like tempo as maybe being worth a card. You know, so rampant growth is like a two for one. Mm-hmm. The the corollary to that is that instead of running ramp, instead of running anything really, you can just run more card draw. You know, I'm thinking, not even like like a Xerox deck, you know, where you're playing all the all the cantrips, just a deck that is all card draw. You know. Like, who needs removal? Like, okay, so if your Wrath of God destroys six of the creatures, it's a six for one. Why not just play Blue Sun Zenith for six instead? You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. And also, like, if you get rid of your opponent's cards, right, they might still have more cards. Mm-hmm. But if you're drawing more cards, you have more cards. The advantage yeah, that is there. Out. It's there and it's tangible. It's in your hand. <laughs> you're holding it. Or you're, yeah. it's on your screen. You can see it. No one can take it from you. It is in your hands. Yeah, it's 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 indivisible. It's indivisible mm-hmm. under 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 gourd or whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay, I like where this is going, right? And then like the reality is, right? I, I bet if you looked at statistics of the 
however many billions of games of Magic the Gathering have been played or whatever, mm-hmm. like, probably 80% of them have been won by the person, by the player with the most cards in hand, right? Does that sound right? Yeah. It's like cards in hand directly increases your win percentage, and you want to maximize that win percentage. Yeah. Even if you're not following the one-fifth strategy, right? Even if you're not optimized grinding, you you got to maximize your win percentage. That's Because that's what we play the yeah. age for. That's what it's about. I mean... This, this piece of advice is really a half measure because if you're not if you're not willing to jump into like the one fifth philosophy, maybe maybe you can do something like this. But I mean, like who needs who needs rampant growth? Who needs Kadama's reach? I've got I've got divination. I've got concentrate. I've got Jace's engine. I mean, how are they going to beat that? Got pure beyond. See beyond. See beyond. Yeah, that's two cards. Two you cards. get to look at two cards. You get to look at them and then put one of them away. Put- yeah. That's pretty good. And also you can get rid of the cards I mean, you don't imagine, need. Imagine you, imagine you draw a land. You know, I'm going to want to put that land somewhere else instead of my hand on the battlefield. Yeah, right? so you like, draw it on a later turn, right? Like, <laughs> you you want to draw it during the late game. That's when you're going to need yeah, it. So exactly. you're, you're going to put it away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think we've, uh, we, we've reached our limit in terms of advice, Simon. I think, I think that's where the... <laughs> oh... I'm I'm really glad we had this opportunity to share our wisdom with the world. Um, Me too. I really do think when you when you when you look, I think the lesson here is that when you when you when you factor in all of these important decision making techniques into your deck building and your gameplay, mm-hmm. I think it forms you basically change the way you look at your deck, right? Like I think a common metaphor people use is um, they see their deck as like a Swiss Army knife, right? And they yeah, want to have tools for every occasion. Um, but I think it's better to visualize your deck as kind of two Swiss Army knives. Mm, right? Okay. So you have one each. <laughs> yeah, paint me a picture, buddy. <laughs> I totally lost it. Completely lost it. Ugh. So like like a butterfly knife, but both the handles are Swiss Army knives. Well, yeah, you have a you have a... A stat track karambit in one hand, right? And your other hand is just your normal Swiss Army knife. I mean, at that point, I think you're well-equipped to deal with any and all challengers to your Mm -hmm. rights to the throne. Yeah. Um, And if you're the monarch, right, and Mercury is in retrograde, um, I think think right then and there you've optimized optimized your, um, your direction in life. Yeah. I mean, listener, beware. This is very, it's a, it's a heavy burden to, to carry this information with you. You know, these are, these are deep level magic insights that'll, uh, will change the way you play forever. But, you know, I think it's kind of like the, the philosophy of black, you know, you got to make a deal with, with the karmic gods, you know, to get where you need to go. Power at a price. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it is, it is a burden, you know, being, being this smart, this good at magic, this handsome, you know, I mean, but with, well, let's, not, let's of... not get too far ahead of ourselves. here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all, right, uh, all right. All right, Daniel. All right, Daniel. Well, this is a fun one. This was, I think maybe my favorite episode so far. Um, because we just straight off the dome, all of this, all the things we've ever learned we, about magic. Yeah. We I'm really, playing. that was right from the heart right there. Um, <laughs> Good night, everybody. Or good morning. Or good morning. <laughs> good, good noon. Good morning. Depending on how the planets are aligned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, true. Depending on 
where the sun is in its rotation around the earthly sphere. Because there ain't no earth rotation, because there ain't no globe earth. 